0: Welcome back to another episode of TopCon's Eye on Healthcare podcast, your weekly dose of everything TopCon screen. I am happy to have my co-host again with me this week, Mr. John Bartolovich. How are you doing today, John?
1: I'm doing great, Corey, avoiding the snow and cold weather.
0: I uh, totally understand. Uh, I'm doing the same. And I am, again, your host, Corey Chapman. We are from TopCon Screen. Uh, John is our Health Economics and Reimbursement Manager, and I am the U.S. Director of Sales. Now, before we get into this week's topic, which is Stages and Treatments of Diabetic Retinopathy... We have, we did a poll last week after uh, the release of our Social Determinants of Health podcast, and John, we had some excellent, excellent information, excellent results on that. So let me zip through this, and real quickly, you put this together, put this out on social media, and it had a good response. A patient fails to show up for their specialty health appointment. Is this a compliance issue? A social determinant of health issue, potentially both or neither. Now, I know you've seen the results, uh, so I can't get, you know, we can't guess and see which one you thought it was. But overwhelmingly, 62 percent of the votes came under potentially both, followed by 18 percent for social determinants of health issue, 13 percent. This is a little eye opening for me, 13 percent, neither and 8 percent pulling up the rear, a compliance issue. So, John, you look at this data, you look at the feedback and the responses from other folks in healthcare. care. Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, it, predominantly, the correct answer is going to be either potentially both or a social determinant of health issue. And the reason I would say it's potentially a both is because you are going to have patients that they just forget they had an appointment. Sure. And, that, and that's why they didn't show. But for the most part, this is going to be a social determinant of health. We need to, we really need to keep in mind that, um, you know, some, some of these patients, they have a lot going on in their lives. I was just at a conference out in, um, Las Vegas talking about value-based care. And one of the topics was phantom patients. And one of the physicians on a panel described a patient that, uh, you know, showed up, got some initial work done, was diagnosed as uh, having some complications such as diabetes, and they were a smoker, et cetera. And then they didn't see the patient for two years. Uh, and when they finally did see the patient again, the patient presented in the emergency room and they had a gangrenous foot ulcer. Their blood sugars were well out of control. Um, and the reason, you know, the, the patient had gotten multiple messages about appointments and, and engagement to try to get them to show up at the point, the appointment, but their daughter had some health issues and this patient was responsible for taking care of their daughter as well as their daughter's children. So being able to go to an appointment was a social determinative health issue because just typically for family cohesiveness, somebody had to be able to take care of an ailing child an L Ling adult child and their children. So that's why I would say this is uh really it's more than likely a an SDOH issue, but it is potentially both because of the fact that
0: some people forget they have appointments. I know I have. So no wrong answers, but <laughs> but but definitely leading that route, and that's great. We'll put up another poll this week uh after we were after this show has been released, around again, stages and treatments of diabetic retinopathy. So Before uh, I let you loose on a a lot of numbers that are going to come out here and a lot of important information around uh, this particular topic, let's start with just a generalized baseline of uh, diabetics in the U.S. So according to the ADA's website, there are 34.2 million diabetics living in the U.S. Uh, 13.7 million have some sort of pathology, 3.4 million have sight-threatening pathology, and as we've talked about on previous episodes, around 50% or more are not getting their eye, annual eye exam done. So that's, that's huge numbers to, to talk about. Today we are going to discuss stages and treatments of diabetic retinopathy and its importance, not only to the patient, but to the health system itself. Let's start off, John. And what we are, we preach all the time is getting that annual eye exam. Why is that important? Why is it something that just cannot be neglected? Um, and then we'll obviously get into the different uh, treatments.
1: Absolutely. The, the interesting thing about diabetics and patients that suffer from diabetes, it is not a matter of if they are going to get diabetic retinopathy. It is a matter of when. So. That's why it's extremely important for patients to go ahead and and get this exam done annually so their physicians, their insurance can track and see and catch this as early as possible. The big issue with diabetic retinopathy is in the early stages, there are no symptoms. So patients really don't know if anything's wrong with their eyes. And since they're not having any vision issues they're saying hey why do I have to go get this exam done why is this important to me so we need to really start helping physicians educate their diabetics as to why this is an important exam that needs to be done annually
0: totally understand and totally agree with you okay so walk us through that patient population we talked about around 50 percent that are not keeping up with getting an eye exam at least yearly um Take us down the road on what could happen, what could develop. The floor is yours.
1: Sure. I appreciate that. Well, let's start with there's four stages of diabetic retinopathy. Uh, the first would be mild, non-proliferative retinopathy. And this is really the beginning of, of the eye issues that a diabetic may or may not, may experience. Uh, and basically this is there's a swelling begins in the retina's blood vessels. And because these vessels are so tiny, they may start to have some leaking occur. Typically at this stage, probably not going to be noticeable to the patient, not going to know that there's anything really happening. Um, but it is important to be caught so that it doesn't move on to the next stage or the stages that follow. The next stage would be moderate non-proliferative retinopathy. And this is where the blood vessels, which are pretty much nourishing the retina, Become blocked and it's not one. It's multiple blood vessels and swelling and leaking is, is beginning to occur. Patient may or may not start seeing spots, may, may or may not see things like cobwebs that come and go. The next stage is going to be severe non proliferative retinopathy. And in this advanced stage, the blood vessels are blocked, which means the retina is no longer getting the blood supply it needs. Um, this is the last stage before retinopathy really becomes a, a very, very serious issue. Uh, and that would be proliferative retinopathy. And that's the most advanced stage. Uh, signals have been sent to the, uh, from the brain to grow new blood vessels, but they grow in an abnormal state. And because of where they grow along the retina, and they're fragile, the leaking becomes more and more severe, and this is when vision loss and and possibly even blindness can occur. But that's not the only thing that diabetics have to worry about because diabetic retinopathy can also cause diabetic macular edema, which, again, similar to retinopathy, but this is where the fluid from the blood vessels leaks into the macula, which is the part of your eye that's responsible for central vision, the very sharp vision that, that we all have. And when that happens, you start to see uh, blurry, blurred vision. And this happens to 1 in 15 diabetics. You also have the possibility for retinal detachments because of the leakage of the blood vessels, as well as neovascular glaucoma. But on top of that, diabetics are 2 to five 5 times more likely to develop cataracts, And they're also have double the risk to develop glaucoma.
0: John, that's a lot. That is, let's take a second there and, and, and take that all in. There's a lot going on there. Just a quick question. You know, there's so many possibilities of pathology for a patient living with diabetes. We talked on previous episodes around social determinants of health and, and education and things of that nature. Um, what level in your experiences has the education helped or hurt or been glossed over so to speak on this because it sounds like you know when we talk about it you know there's the obviously there's a chance of blindness and and all these different things happening um are you seeing out there when when you're having conversations with offices and health systems and FQHCs that uh, they're able to go into this depth of of knowledge
1: absolutely um the, the, the practitioners all know the importance of this exam and the long-term effects that it could have. But again, it's, it's how can we get that patient more engaged for them to understand the long-term complications of what's going to happen if they don't get this exam done? Yeah. So now we talk about, okay, I've got retinopathy. What are my treatment options? And again, getting back to why the family practitioner, the ophthalmologist, the endocrinologist, and quite frankly, the the patient's insurance want to get this caught early. And that's because diabetics and diabetic retinopathy are going to be high cost, high utilization um, occurrences for the patient, the practitioner, and the plant. So starting at the low end, normal eye, moving up to proliferative, um, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't play one on TV, but these decisions are made by the ophthalmologist or retinal specialist. Once, once a patient has been diagnosed with retinopathy, then their ophthalmologist or retinal surgeon is going to go ahead and, and make the care plan decisions necessary to treat that patient. And basically, I'm just going to cover here are what some of those treatments are. One of the first and most common treatments is going to be what they call vascular endothelial growth factor inhibitors. And these are basically medications that are injected into the eye to help stop the bleeding and the growth of abnormal blood vessels in the eye. These can range anywhere in cost, Corey, from fifty to $2,000 a month. And you think about that and you say, oh, that's, you know, that's expensive, but it's doable, or maybe it's doable. Uh depends on the patient. I want to scratch that one. Uh, but what's really important is that these patients, once they start getting these injections, for the first five months, they have to get this injection every month. Then they can go to every other month for the next two injections. And then more than likely, they're back to every month for injections for a while. So this can lead to a, an annual cost to the patient and the plan of up to 24000 or more dollars per year. The next stage in treatment would be uh, laser treatments. And you can do this in, in conjunction with the, um, the anti-VEGF therapies or you can do a sole, and there's two different types. There's coagulation, and this is a very specific laser treatment. It is only going to be used on one or two sites in the eye, um, and it's typically done in a single session in the ophthalmologist's office, uh, if you've had blurred vision from macular edema surgery, the treatment might not return your vision to normal, but you know it, it's likely to reduce the chances of macular edema worsening. So this is going to be right there in that macula-centric area that we talked about earlier with diabetic macular edema. The other one is going to be pan photocoagulation, and this is more of a scatter laser treatment. And during this procedure, the ophthalmologist is going to be hitting hundreds of spots uh to stop abnormal blood vessels from growing, and it's really going to cause them to shrink and to scar and treatments for uh that can be you know anywhere from thirteen hundred to eighteen hundred dollars per laser treatment. And especially with the panretinal treatment, patient may require two or more treatments. The next treatment uh, could be a photodynamic therapy in conjunction with a vert- a vertiporfin for injection. And basically what vertiporfin is, is they would inject that into the patient's bloodstream. And as that is circulating through the body, once it gets into the blood vessels in the eye, They will use a low-emitting light sensor to emulsify that vertiporphine. So that'll, for lack of a better term, plug the uh, the gaps and and stop the leakage from occurring. Another option would be vitrectomy surgery, and that's where they're going to do a small incision in your eye to remove the blood and the vitreous fluid uh, as well as any scar tissue that's tugging on the retina. And that is typically going to be done in a hospital or in a surgery center.
0: Okay, so it sounds like these these treatments range from, a uh, not a quick, but an in-office visit to a possible hospital stay. Does that sound right? Uh, probably outpatient. Outpatient, okay.
1: However, uh, the the thing to keep in mind, as the disease progresses, you're looking at cost of zero for normal eye to, if a patient loses their eyesight, that could be up to a million dollars in lifetime direct medical expenses. So that's why it's very important that we address these issues and try to catch them before they become serious.
0: Right. Okay. So my question to you is, th- this is fantastic information, especially for the, the, the person living with diabetes. Take me through why this is increasingly more important into the, the PCP or the health system.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's start first and foremost with the patient. And and the reason this is important from the for the patient is nobody wants to lose their eyesight. Um, so whatever we can do to help that patient maintain that eyesight and maintain a high quality of life uh, is going to be in their best interest. Now, from the Practitioner or physician standpoint, there's a couple of things and a couple of reasons why they would, they are interested in doing this. Obviously, it's the right thing to do. It's, it, it improves patient and clinical outcomes and it's the right treatment path for a patient. And the earlier we can catch this, the more beneficial it is. The other thing is because this is quality of care, there are uh, bonuses out there for quality improvements and improve patient management that physicians can qualify for. So that typically means that better quality of care equals better patient management and outcomes, which equals treating more patients and more referrals. So that's why it's important to the physician. Lastly, why it's important to the health insurance plan is this is gonna be, if left untreated, it's gonna be a high cost, high utilization patient that is going to use much, much more of the resources of the health plan than any other. Than you know, a patient that's not sick doesn't have any issues. Uh, as I said, this can be if the patient goes blind, it could be an up to a, a million dollars in direct medical expenses.
0: Great information, John. That's our show for this week. Make sure to check out our LinkedIn profiles for more information. For John Bartolovich, I'm Corey Chapman. This has been another episode of Eye on Healthcare.